still on a much-deserved vacation. Uh, I wanted to share um, just a brief something from God's Word today uh, for everyone, and so I'm glad that I'm able to to come here and do it um, for you guys. But uh, God has called us all to different things, right? No matter what uh, vocation we end up finding ourselves in, hopefully we're all trying our best to answer God's call in our lives, and for some reason, God called me to teenagers, and that's just a special calling, Um, especially... (laughs) Um, outside of here, I normally spend my mornings here in the office working, and then I leave to do the last three periods of uh, school at Anderson Christian School, um, teaching middle schoolers about the Bible. And not only is teenagers a special calling, but middle schoolers especially is, yes. (laughs) I let someone else say it. I didn't say it. She said it's worse. I'm just agreeing. Um, (laughs) But a lot of over the years I've gotten a lot of questions about God, about his word, and I'm doing a really cool thing this year where I'm actually teaching them not just like stories from the Bible, but I'm teaching them about the Bible itself, how we got the Bible, what what makes up the Bible, who wrote the Bible, like all those kinds of things. And it's pretty exciting and but of course conversations of God always come up with that. And one of the questions I get a lot always eventually in one of the classes because we all ask this questions, and you know middle schoolers, they're just going to spit out whatever they're thinking, right? And that question is, what is God like? What is God like? And no matter how long you study the Bible or go to Bible college or whatever, are we ever going to be able to find a perfect answer to that question? <laughs> no, because we can use the best our language can come up with, which the best word I can think of is holy, Right? And the reason holy, I think, is the best word for that is because the idea of something being holy is that idea of something being set apart from something else. It is completely different. God is in a completely different category than us. And so for my students, I actually ended up recently wording it a different way. Instead of saying really what God is like, I said what he's not like. And the easiest way to describe that is to say that God is not like us. And that's a good thing. And there's one particular way that makes that such a good thing for us. And if you want to turn your Bibles with me, we're going to read um, really just one verse of Scripture tonight. I'll give you kind of the context that's surrounding it. But it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 23 and verse 19. Numbers 23 and verse 19. While you're turning there, we'll talk about what this is about here. This is part of the story of Balaam. A story middle schoolers love to hear because it includes a talking donkey, (laughs) which is a really cool thing. I love trying to get kids to understand that the Bible is not boring, right? God made a donkey talk, right? A lot of really interesting things happen in the Bible. But my favorite thing about Balaam is a lot of people have misconstrued Balaam in the Bible. Because Balaam was a prophet who ended up speaking the truth of God, some people would try to say Balaam was a godly man, but that could not be more opposite. (laughs) Balaam was a very wicked man. He was a greedy man. He wanted money. And he gets hired by the king of the Moabites named Balak. It's a struggle to teach this to students because the names are Balak and Balaam, and that's just annoying. Um, But Balak has hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. And Balaam tells him something very interesting from the very start. He says, look, all the money in your palace sounds great. But I cannot speak anything that the Lord does not tell me to speak. 
Little does Balak know that Balaam meant that a lot more literally than Balak realized. So he takes Balaam up to this big mountain, and he's looking over out over the Israelites, and he's like, all right, Balaam, go. Curse Israel. And Balaam's like, all right, well, let me see what God wants to say first. And so God tells him what to say, and then Balaam speaks a blessing over Israel. And Balak rightly says, what are you doing? (laughs) I told you to curse them. He's like, I told you. I can't say anything that God doesn't want me to say. So they try again, which leads us to this. If you keep reading, especially on, he ends up giving four oracles, prophecies over the people of Israel. And especially starting with the third one, it actually, a lot of scholars believe it seems like he actually opens his mouth and God literally takes over his mouth and speaks the blessing through him. No, I don't have time to get into all of this, but we know that Balaam doesn't really want to bless Israel because he helps Balak get Israel to sin at the end. Balaam is a wicked man and wants Israel to sin. But he says something very interesting about God in verse 19. Right before this, I'll I'll go into it starting um, uh, in verse 18. It says, so chapter 23, verse 18. And Balaam took up his discourse and said this, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The main way that God wanted us to hear that God is not like us, and I think this is a very important truth for us to understand here, is that God does not lie. Now, it'd be very easy for us to do this, but raise your hand in here if you've never told a lie before. Okay, good. No one tried. I always have at least one student. (laughs) Of course you've lied before. We all lie before. In fact, it's really easy to lie, isn't it? It's real easy. You don't have to even teach anybody to lie. My little, you know, Daniel, the sweet little almost angel he is. (laughs) But but even still, as a little three-year-old, he can tell a lie. You don't have to to teach him how to tell the truth, (laughs) Right? You see this especially with middle schoolers. <laughs> when I, I had two boys, actually this was ninth grade. These weren't even middle schoolers. They don't get better. Um, but I had two boys that cheated on an assignment. One student just straight up hand wrote the assignment for another student. And I noticed that while I was grading them the night before. So I bring these two boys in the next day. And I have the papers. I was doing it the really fun, like fun, dramatic way. I had the papers hidden. The boys come in. I say, boys, you want to tell me why you cheated on this assignment? And what do you think the boys said? Oh, we're so sorry, Mr. Massey. I, I, we, I, we definitely did it. No. What do you mean, Mr. Massey? We didn't, we didn't cheat. Us? <laughs> we wouldn't do that. And it was one of my favorite times. I've had kids cheat before, but I held up the two papers to them, and it was a handwritten assignment answering questions on a form. And my favorite thing was, the handwriting was exactly the same. You could tell it was even the same pen because the ink was exactly the same. And then they didn't even space the words out. It looked photocopied almost. Like even the same words that the kids spelled wrong the first time were spelled wrong in the same places the exact same way. <laughs> and, so, and my other favorite part was as soon as I hold it up, the, the one smart kid goes, oh, man. And the, but the other kid had the audacity to be like, I, I, what? <laughs> And the thing is, aren't we all like that sometimes, though? Lying, sadly, is way too easy for us. 
when we think about God, we realize he's not like us. And why is it easy for us? It's easy, like, someone answer. Why do you think it's easy for us to lie? Because we know lying's a sin, and yet lying's one of the most, sadly, easy sins to commit, especially those little white lies that just kind of spit out of us sometimes. Why do you think those are so easy for us to do? Naturally defending ourselves, right? Sometimes. At least it feels easier, <laughs> right? And so you have to keep lying, and then it's no longer easier. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, what do you mean? <laughs> now, Joseph, you said something interesting. You said the word natural. Why do you think that is? That sometimes it feels natural for us to respond with a lie, for us to respond with a sin. We're broken people. As humans, we have a sin nature. Sadly, it is natural for us to lie. It's natural for us to sin because that's a part of who we are. Now, if we are in Christ, we have a new nature, but we still war with that old nature. We're still stuck in this body for now, and so we still war with it. It's why, sadly, those temptations still pop up when those moments happen, and it can be easy for us to lie. But then why is it such a big deal that God is not like us is that he does not lie. It is completely against his nature. God has called many things in the Bible, and one of the things he's called is truth. That he is the essence of truth. It goes against God's character completely to even be able to tell a lie. Not even that, it's that he's not even like us, that he should change his mind. There's nothing about God that he says he has an idea for something and goes, hmm, you know, that wasn't good. <laughs> Let's not do that. That's not why he flooded the earth. God didn't look at mankind and go, wow, I messed up. <laughs> we need to start again. No, he looked and said, who messed up? We did. And so he enacted the next part of his plan. God doesn't lie. He doesn't mess up. That's who we are. It's not who God is. But then it, I, I love what happens in the second half of this. It says, has he said... And will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? This is incredible coming from the, the lips of a very greedy, wicked prophet <laughs> who's been hired for the express purpose of cursing Israel, trying to call down the wrath of God on these people. But why will God not curse Israel? Who in here knows? At this point, why would God not Israel. Because what, what has he already done for Israel at this point? He promised to bless them. Now, does, did he also say that there would be punishment for Israel if they sinned? Yes, and he followed through <laughs> with those punishments with Israel when they sinned. But he promised that he would bless his people. And in fact, do you guys remember in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, one of the covenants and the promises he made with Abraham, he said something very telling. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Balak probably should have heard that before, because that was a promise God had made. And now Balaam is saying something, look, if God made a promise, because he cannot lie, if God made a promise, he will keep it. 
And then later, what I love with this in the last oracles that Balaam gives, remember he's standing next to the king of Balak. He actually mentions while he's saying it, he says, a scepter, a ruler will come out of Israel and will crush the head of Moab. That must have been awkward when he finished giving that, when he's standing next to the king of Moab, <laughs> right? And we know that eventually the Israelites would have victories over the Moabites and they would face a curse because of this curse they were trying to put on Israel. But I want to take this deeper here because like with my middle schoolers, I'm teaching them about this book. And my whole goal in the first part of this class that I've been teaching them is why should we care? If we grew up in church, raise your hand if you grew up in church for at least a solid part of your life. I've only ever known this book. You know there's so many people out there that have no idea why this book's important. They just don't know. To them, it's just another book. To them, we're the weird ones. We're the crazy ones. That why do we trust this? And so I'm trying to teach these students why we can trust this. And this verse points us to an incredible truth. One of the first things I started with them, and that ties into this very well, is 2 Timothy 3.16. That says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all inspired by God. Every word on this page is God's word. Humans might have written it and then typed it out for us on here, but every single bit of it is what God wants to say. It's his words to us, which wraps back to what we get in Balaam's prophecy here. These are God's words, and God cannot lie. He's not like us. If I were going to write a book and make up a religion, I would write a bunch of things, a bunch of lies, <laughs> right? By the way, we've seen that happen. We see that in other holy books. We see that in the Book of Mormon. We see that in the Quran. We see where other humans have tried to make a religion and write a holy book, and it's full of things that just don't happen. I remember growing up seeing these billboards there was, I cannot remember his name for the life of me. I was trying to look him up and I couldn't find him. But there was a guy who would pay for billboards to be put up that said, Jesus is going to return on a specific date. Does anybody remember seeing these? I don't know if they were here. They were in Raleigh um, for uh, all the time. And it literally had a specific date and year. And the year was always like the next year. And then that date would come. Jesus hadn't returned yet. And I'm not kidding, within a month, another billboard would be up and he'd have a fixed date. And there'd be a new date on there because this guy was given a prophecy, but that prophecy was clearly not from God. And any person like that can lie. Any person like that can make up whatever they want and give a prophecy. But there's something special about a book that was written thousands of years ago, over the span of thousands of years, and there are prophecies in it that to this day are still being fulfilled. I actually had one of my students come up to me, and I thought this was really cool. It was an eighth grade girl, because I had just had this conversation with them. And she was like, hey, my dad was talking about that he saw something about the Euphrates River is drying up, and that's one of the prophecies in the Bible, right? And I was like, exactly. I said, so what does that mean about the Bible? And I watched the clicking moment for her, and she was like, it's true. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's it. Because we don't take this like any other book, do we? We don't open these pages and go, man, I hope I get some truth out of this today. I hope that God tells me something useful today. I hope that there's something true for me in here today. We open this book because we know it's true. And if God's made a promise, he will 
keep it. He promised to bless Israel, and he did. He promised to discipline them if they sinned, and he did. He's promised to send a Savior for us, and he did. And he's promised us a home with him, and we can trust that he will. So this is what, like I said, I wanted this to be something brief for us, but I wanted this to be an encouragement for us because one of the best joys of preaching or of teaching God's word is how much it affects you too. I've, I've been studying so deeply just about this book to teach kids why they can trust it. And let me just tell you, if you haven't, like, I know, I hope you're all studying your Bible, but go take some time to read some things about why we can trust that this is true. Look up the prophecies that are still true to this day. All the prophecies in this book that have already been fulfilled. Look up why we can trust that all of the things written in here are true and see how it strengthens your faith. One of the things I do with students at least once a year is I teach other world religions to them. Not so that they believe them, obviously. I teach it so that they're aware of what else is in the world and then I show them next to this book what is true. And it always comes back to this. And I want that to encourage us tonight. That if you're going through something, if you're going through a period of doubt, I, I, my heart goes to that Phelps family back in Raleigh. I, I can't speak for Shane. I know that he's a godly man. But let's be real. Job might not have cursed God himself, but do you remember the questions Job ended up asking God? Right? Why do I deserve this? But can we blame him? We all face moments that might make us start to question our faith, but listen, don't question God. We can question us. You can question me, or Alex, or Joseph, as the pastors of this church. We might mess up. We will. We will mess up. (laughs) We will get something wrong. But God, praise God, is not like us. That he should lie. That he should change his mind. Has he not said it? And he will do it. And he's promised us in his word all that we need. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are not like us. But we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. And God, that you are not a God like us, that you would lie, that you would have to change your mind. And God, we thank you that every single promise you have made in your word will come true. God, we thank you for that ultimate promise fulfilled in Jesus. Coming to die and pay the penalty for our sins to offer us the gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And God, we thank you for the promise of a hope of eternal life with you. But so God, I pray that if there's any of us in here today that need to be encouraged by this, that need to hear some truth, need to hear some hope, God, I pray that they would hold this Bible in their hands and that they wouldn't look at it as something that might help them, but that they would see that these, every single word on these pages are from you. They're breathed out by you, inspired by you, and they're all useful for us. They hold your promises. They hold our hope. They hold your truths. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us in that tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.